0: Toxic constructs surrounding masculinity affect men and women alike. In fact, it is a serious contributor to the stats surrounding male suicide being the biggest killer of men ages 20 to 49 in the UK. The purpose of this podcast is to change that by getting men and women talking about men's mental health. You can find us at letsgetmentalking.com, on Instagram at letsgetmentalking, on Twitter at letsgetmental underscore, and on LinkedIn for corporate inquiries. As usual, this episode is sponsored by Polite Club, a a clothing brand that exists to inspire and empower people to talk about how they feel, and their aim is to connect the world on a deeper level. You can find Let's Get Men Talking t-shirts, caps, and beanies at PoliteClub.co.uk. I'm wearing mine now, literally everything. And today I'm talking to George Taylor, who I've worked alongside on and off for quite a few years now. The work I do with Let's Get Men Talking has led to some seriously insightful conversations during business meetings, which is the exact idea of the platform. So it's good to know that it's working. Um, So I look forward to sharing these conversations with you today. Welcome, George Taylor, founder of online startup magazine, Gramercy. George, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty good, Minty. Thank you so much for letting me be a guest on this. As you know, I've never done anything like this before. It's the first time I've ever... Um, spoken about my story and given my wisdom on this topic that I'm massively passionate about. And also, as you know, I'm used to sitting on the other side of the table asking the questions. So I guess it's quite uh, humbling and, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to hopefully help some people. So I'd say it's going pretty good right now.
0: Absolutely. And it was amazing the conversation that we had the other day. I just knew that we had to have it. I almost wish I could have recorded it. But here we are. We we're, we're getting to do it again, which is good news. Absolutely. So why did not you start with telling me about your experience with mental health, just to throw you in at the deep end?
1: Throw me right in the deep end. Good thing I can swim, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so my mental health issues, if that's the right word, I know everyone, everyone would describe it differently, goes back to pretty much for as long as my memory goes back for. So it all started, unfortunately, I was born into a background of domestic violence, so my father was a criminal. Um, he was an abusive man. wasn't a very nice person at all. Uh, was kind of in and out of jail for doing, you know, petty crimes. And I'd say for the first few years of my life, I what I did witness was him being quite violent towards my mother. That now that really shaped everything for me. I mean, as long as I can think back from, I always knew that my life was different. You know, for, for even as young as four years old, and that was really where I guess you could say my long journey of trauma started and um, so that that was the first major experience now because i never really saw a therapist you know i never really addressed the problem i mean why would i was a kid but when i got to about 11 12 years old not only me but also my mother started to notice that i think some of these issues started to haunt me and come back and manifest in various ways and the obvious thing was that i had developed really severe obsessive compulsive disorder um, to give an example, I'd have to wash my hands every time I touched something. It was that bad. So like, I, I, if, if I made a cup of on a cup of orange juice, I'd have to wash my hands because I was worried I was going to get cancer from touching the cup. Um, if I turned on my stereo, I'd have to wash my hands because I was worried that maybe someone had, had some deadly disease and planted, you know, that disease onto the stereo, and now I'm going to get that, and now I'm consequently going to die of that disease. Uh, and then, then there was ordering things up. So there was like ordering my room up by you know the alphabet and and making sure that everything was kind of symmetrical and hitting the light switch x number of times so and it, it got to the point where it started to take over my life as a young child i mean i mean i was everything was obsessions and obsession driven so finally my mother said i'm taking you to see a psychiatrist so she did um they put me on some medication called sertraline And I took that probably four to five years. I I can't remember exactly, but it would have been from about the age of 11, maybe 12 through till possibly 16, 17 till after my GCSEs were out of the way. Now, the funny thing about that is this is when I first learned about medication and and how that operates. So what I noticed is as soon as I came off the pills, there's me thinking I cured the problem. I hadn't, it was still there because I hadn't really, identified the root cause so i then became a drug addict at the age of 15 16 um, and started to you know bulk binge drink and at the time i thought it was just me being cool you know experimenting with these kind of different drugs as lots of people do with credit but as the years have gone by i've come to realize that really what that was was a coping strategy it was something that i did because i needed to bury my head in the sand i needed to um get rid of this pain and these obsessions that I was experiencing. Um, eventually I quit the drugs and um, I started to you know enter my onto a journey of finding a healthy way to deal with the problem. But just when I thought things couldn't get worse, I was diagnosed with a condition called oligodontia, which is a more severe version of hypodontia. Now hypodontia is, is a genetic condition, it's where you're born with no teeth in your gums. So imagine that, imagine most people have their baby teeth come through and then they fall out, then adult teeth come through. I had a limited number of baby teeth and underneath there was no adult teeth to follow. So when those teeth eventually fell out, what I had was gaps, right? Um, Now, normally, hypodontia is six to eight teeth. Mine was like 16 to 18. So I had the more severe version. I had to start on a four-year surgical procedure, which lasted from the age of 18 to 22, which meant taking lots of time out of university and college and being in, quite frankly, extreme pain a lot of the time to the point where they prescribed me morphine because it was so the pain was so severe. That was a very traumatic thing for me to go through, not only being bullied because I had no teeth, but also the actual, just the experience of lying down in the operating theatre and having to go through one surgery after the other, so it was a very traumatic experience for me, and I got teeth at twenty-two years old. And I remember I'll never forget the day I first looked in the mirror and saw porcelain teeth teeth in my mouth. That certainly helped with a little bit of the body dysmorphia that I had at the time. I mean, admit I don't suffer that condition anymore. And then moving on, moving on from there, um, I was homeless quite a few times in my mid twenties. So this kind of journey of I don't know, I don't know if you want to call it trauma, this, journey, this traumatic journey just continued and continued and continued and never seemed to end and it was when i was about 26 that my best friend ashley who's the cto of gramercy actually the the, the company bailed me out he said look i can't see you sleep on the streets and we need to come and move to leeds so i did so i packed up from london i moved to leeds and when i got there it was like i can't explain the relief i really i've never been to explain words what it was like to sleep in a bed that night i could never explain it it was unbelievable however Before this happened, I was actually seeing a therapist at the time. She booked me in to go and see a psychiatrist because she thought I was displaying signs of bipolar. Now, I knew I didn't have bipolar. However, I did start to question myself. I thought, hmm, maybe I have got bipolar. Maybe this is what all this is all about. Anyway, so when I got to Leeds, I said to Ashley, she said, Ashley, can you please monitor my mood swings? And can you please tell me if if I'm being, you know, extreme highs and extreme lows? Funny enough, that that never happened. He said, no. It's been eight weeks and you've not had a high or low yet. But anyway, my anger got really out of control. Um, He he then booked me in to go and see an anger management coach. And honestly, six or seven months, I, I yelled in there. I really did yell in there for about six, seven months, big time. Eventually, the, the anger started to lift off. But what I realized was that the anger wasn't the problem. The anger was the symptom of a bigger problem, which was unresolved, multi-layered, complex trauma and PTSD that I – Didn't even know I had really. Um, So I'd say that my mental health has been a long running thing and it's also been quite complex as well. It's not been a simple thing. It's been quite a complicated journey for me. However, the age of 32 years old, I've definitely got better at managing it, which is why I'm keen to talk about that today.
0: It's an incredible journey you've been on and it sounds like it's been very turbulent for you, especially in your formative years. And The things that you've learned from that journey that you have shared with me and that you're going to share with other people today, you know, really, really helpful to relate to. And I think one of the biggest things that I discovered from conversations with you is the misconception surrounding PTSD, because of course you had PTSD after all of that. Most people think that PTSD is on the TV, essentially associate it with the military and the war and stuff like that. And it was a big problem, and it was spoken about heavily in in the media, which was really important. Slash is a big problem, but you don't have to go through, go out to war, and and see that explosive behavior around you to to get PTSD, do you?
1: Definitely not. And I think there's there's a few things I want to say about this actually. So, firstly, there's, there's two types of trauma. There's emotional trauma, and then there's post traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Now, everybody in the world suffers from some level of emotional trauma, whether that it could be completely low on the scale. It could be one percent or 0.5 percent. Everybody suffers from it because as we go through challenges in life, that uh, our lives shape the way we perceive um, ourselves, the world and others. Right. So to give an example um, that might be, I don't know, someone bullying you at school. Doesn't mean you've got PTSD. It just means you've got that might affect you. Possibly, it might, you know, give you confidence problems or whatever it is, you know, whatever that comes of that. And then there's PTSD, which is extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. So to give an example of what of what that could look like, that could be a plane crash. That could be, you know, finding out your ship's going down. It could be, um, like you say, being in the war, being shot at, seeing your best friend killed um witnessing the domestic violence it could be in know you know being involved in a robbery you know maybe someone broke into your house for example um abuse
0: suicide attempts it could be suicide attempts on yeah the street. it could be yeah. fear of life even if it's you know in a car crash and nothing actually happened there's so much
1: absolutely now the the, the, the key factor here is that people need to understand a few different things you can go through a, an extremely traumatic shock-based experience and not get PTSD. You right. can do it. Okay. So you could be in a plane crash and walk out without PTSD. Yeah. And then you could have an experience that is seemingly less serious than that and walk out of PTSD. So I hope that gives you some context in that no one's immune from this. You don't need to be In some crazy crazy experience or crazy life like i've had to get it now like you said the films do tend to have a heavy emphasis on depicting that through war-based movies which is something that i think needs to change moving forward
0: we definitely need more variety around that narrative i don't think we need to take away from the fact that we do need to address ptsd from war heroes or war victims um but we also need to be aware that it happens to other people because then it's so much less of a shock when you get diagnosed if you know that that could happen. What you said about not having to walk out with PTSD after a traumatic experience is really prominent too because we talk about men's mental health and constructs surrounding masculinity. And just because you aren't... A man or have been around men or masculine behavior doesn't mean you're toxic and just because you get down doesn't mean you have depression and i find it really useful when people define at the beginning of these conversations the difference and and the spectrum as well so that was really helpful thank you
1: it is and a bit like what you said about education now for example um some people might see a ptsd movie scene in a film that's not war related and not understand what they're watching they might go This person's crazy. This person's losing their marbles. This person's psychotic. They might think that. Now, that's because the dialogue hasn't been pushed heavily enough. Now, I'm just going to quickly give an example of that. If if people want to know what PTSD looks like, there's a great movie called Thanks for Sharing, and it's got Mark Ruffalo, who's an exceptional actor. one of my favourite actors, actually. Gwyneth Paltrow. And about three quarters, maybe some last 10, 15 minutes of that movie, you see a scene where Mark Ruffalo's character uh, his ex-girlfriend, paysman and I expect visit. She comes round. He starts to kind of make out of her and, you know, and they kind of have a bit of a, you know, say a sort of fling, so to speak. And what happens is she then has a, a, a trigger. Something triggers her off. She then has an episode, uh, a, a, like a traumatic relapse. And... It, honestly it's such an amazing scene it's a really good scene i highly recommend everyone to watch it because what you're witnessing looks like she's psychotic it looks like she's crazy she's not crazy she just got ptsd um and clearly mark ruffalo's um character doesn't understand that he 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 thinks she's lost the plot she hasn't lost the plot and then she locks herself in the bathroom cries hysterically and he's banging on the door saying you know stop doing this stop doing this and I, I've completely related to that because I have had that before and I know what that looks and feels like. So for me, I got I got what was happening, whereas people that watched the media with me didn't understand it. So that's why I would say, everyone, watch the end scene in thanks for sharing. It's fantastic.
0: That perception and ability to relate is really important and that is why it's so important that we keep having these conversations so that we stop using words like, you're being crazy flippantly in an argument with our partners because actually maybe they are suffering with something a bit deeper than what the conversation's about or, you know, there's there's so many things that could be going on. And we do use this word crazy or mental as a sort of way to sweep emotive reactions under the rug. And it's really important that we learn to empathize and understand people who don't think like we do or have had different experiences to us.
1: And that's the thing. It all comes. To, it all comes down to communication, which is, I would say, our weakest asset as a nation. I mean, we can build rockets to go up to space. I mean, we can. I mean, look at the things we can do. Look at the things we've done. We've done some unbelievable stuff. We can build rockets to go up to space. I mean, come on. But what we can't do is we can't sit there and have a, a grounded adult emotionally intelligent conversation full of empathy, sympathy, and really try to sit in other people's shoes. We can't do that. Well at least mo- most people can't in my experience. And that's something that I am so passionate about because I've been the receiving end of that in so many ways. I mean I, I mean honestly hundreds of ways that has then come and bite me back in the arse and all because of bad communication. So I think really that's what it comes down to. Firstly you've got to spread the awareness you need to let people know that it's okay to have these awkward conversations in a non-intrusive, non-attacking kind of way. We're not, you know, a non-defensive kind of way without being like that. We, We can talk in a healthy way. So I really think that's something people should start to proactively work on in their own lives.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's a global thing. There's other countries that talk about this as well and it's really important that humans it's not something we're taught. You don't you're not born with a manual about, you know, how to be in touch with your feelings and and how to deal with vulnerability and how to open up if you need for help. But we are learning to do that and it's a really exciting time because it's being championed by people like you, yourself and People who are willing to take the first step if someone's listening to this and they haven't been through the life story that you've been through does not mean that your problems are any less important. And that's a common misconception. People sit there and they go, "Oh, well, I haven't been through that, and they're fine. But they've come out, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what the journey they've been through to get fine they probably spoken to someone perhaps and got help like you have right you you've eventually after experiencing the medical side of things you've experienced the talking therapies and the other types of therapies
1: i've done it all minty i'm, I'm <laughs> gonna get to i'm gonna get to i trust you there's not one thing you can mention that i've not tried because i had to i i, had, I was in a desperate place but before i get to that i just want to just um, zoom in on a couple more things that's right you?
0: yeah please
1: the first thing i want to kind of zoom in on is um this is how I think communication should work. So I'm actually going to give you an example. This is why communication is really important, and why defensiveness is so destructive. So, as I mentioned a minute ago, I've learned that communication is something that so many people don't know how to do, and defensiveness and attacks are quite common. We should be able to provide constructive criticism and talk about emotions without being attacked without being blamed for being an attacker. Now, this might be something you've done yourself, and to be honest, I've probably done it myself. You know, I'm, I'm not innocent. Let's let's do a little role play. Me, question. I'm really upset that you did XYZ. It could be something as small as, I don't know, leaving the cup on the side without not washing it up. Let's just say, let's just say I did that, that someone else did that, right? So I'm really upset that you did blah blah blah. Right, that's 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 the question that I'm putting out there. The answer is two toxic examples. Hold a minute, what are you insulting me for? Defensiveness. Why are you insulting me? So the instant assumption that I'm insulting you, right? That's that's the first answer. And then the next answer is well to be fair you do always leave your i don't know recycling bin in the hallway you know come back with a counter attack because they think they're being attacked now that is the start of a disaster and so many people have done this i've probably done it myself i'm not innocent like i said now here's what you should be saying here's what you should be saying you should be saying actually you're right i did leave the cup on the sink and didn't wash it up um i'm actually quite i'm really sorry that i hurt you it was wrong with me to do that, and I promise I won't do it again. That's what we should be doing. Because the thing is, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. There's nothing wrong. No one should be too proud to be wrong, and no, no one should be too proud to lace out an apology when it's needed. That comes back to the ego. Now, I've got this saying that I've made I call it the ego is the enemy. The ego is your delusional thinking, it's your delusion, it's your grandeur trying to convince you and tell you. Of something that is probably not real. So, for example, if you're walking down the streets one day in your suit and you're feeling pretty flash and you know, you happen to be looking extremely handsome that one day, you know, your hair looks great, you're feeling great you go into a bar, you see someone and for some reason on that day you feel on top of the world. Maybe on that particular day you might have ignored somebody or you might have not answered the phone or you might have looked down on somebody, let's say. Now, that's your ego talking. So, what I what I believe in is a thing called, called suppression of the ego. So, a technique that I use for that is that I visualize myself being in an unfortunate situation and being on balance with everybody else and I actually find it morphs my mindset and takes my ego because the thing is, The ego will kill you. The ego will take you to the end. You know, the ego will convince you of anything. The ego will convince you to fire a nuclear missile over the other side of the planet. The ego will kill you. So we as a nation need to start understanding and distinguishing the difference between what our ego is saying and what our actual heart and soul and real human being is saying. So I hope that helps and gives some context.
0: No, that's really helpful. I think everyone can think of a conversation they've had where they've done that. And it happens in the workplace so much as well there are all these conversations. Why didn't you do that? Oh, because you didn't get me that. And actually we need to focus on the solution, not the problem. And it's so much easier sometimes to think more logically about workplace than it is about, for example, your personal life. I really like this idea of giving someone, valuing how they feel. And just because you wouldn't feel like that if someone left a cup on the side, doesn't mean that they don't feel sad about it so they're allowed to feel sad about it and you're allowed to say sorry and it's a you know it's a quicker more solution driven driven conversation George do you have some really interesting views on on how masculinity affects people's mental health have you had any experience with with this in your life
1: um i have and again i can give you some examples if you want yeah okay so i'm going to give you three examples of masculinity and i think that covers the whole spectrum so within masculinity when we say as a word really we talk about a spectrum of behavior that's really what we're talking about a spectrum of choices a spectrum of actions and and also where we position ourselves and where we see ourselves as the so-called modern man so the first one is james bond now, if you was to walk out on the streets tomorrow in London and say, hi, tell me a really well-known British, I don't know, character or British icon, I can guarantee you that a few of them would say James Bond, right? Now, I'm a, I'm a big Bond fan. Let, let me make that clear. So I'm not trying to cuss Bond here because I, I am a, a big Bond fan. But also, I understand Bond for what he, what I think he really is, and I'm going to get into that. So here's what James Bond is. James Bond is the, inverted commas, quintessential British man. That's what he is in inverted commas. However, there's a catch to this. He's a womanizer. Can't stay with a woman for more than one movie. <laughs> he's, he's got a drinking problem. I mean, that's not hugely evident in, in the movies, but it is in the books if you read. Uh, he drinks to numb the pain. Again, quite evident in the books. However, there's this particular scene in Skyfall where M says, take the shot. And then he has, you know, I think he has an injury or something, ends up in the middle of nowhere in Tahiti or something on an island stumbles to the bar to down his you know bottle of liquor right that's because he's numbing his pain that's what he's doing okay and then we've got doesn't express emotions or vulnerability ever i mean when have you ever ever seen and please tell me if i've missed something here when have you ever seen james bond back down and be vulnerable and emotional i can't recall that happening again could be wrong about that right last but not least he shows no remorse for killing people okay now the reason why i've said this is but you know i love james bond but i see it i see him as a fictitious character that's what i see him as in the real world i wouldn't want to aspire to be someone like him so you're probably thinking well okay george who would you aspire to be then you know if if bond's not your guy who is your guy well on the complete opposite side of the country we've got the americanized version of of bond which is jason Bourne. yeah now i've actually seen an interview where the director said that he wanted to make he wanted to give america their own version of bond and that was the mission behind born however notice the difference right born yeah does feel remorse actually he's, he's got ptsd gets flash gets flashbacks to some of the murders that he's made right does feel remorse certainly has huge regret for some of the killings that he's done you you, you get that in the first movie right does want to change and fix things. He's always begging for forgiveness, begging, please, can you get me out of this assassination thing? I don't want to be this guy. I regret doing it. Please let me go. Obviously, they don't let him go, but clearly he feels something. Never drinks. I, I can't find one scene where he picks up uh, drugs or alcohol in any of the Bourne movies. And last but not least, he's not a womanizer. He actually sticks with one woman for two movies, but unfortunately, gets assassinated in the second movie. Now, he's still seen as a tough guy. You wouldn't want to mess with Jason Bourne, would you? You wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of Jason Bourne. He, he would, you wouldn't be around for very long. But do you see the difference there? Do you see how he's almost the same character, just spun in a very different way? Yet, I admire Bourne because he, he's, he's got the humility to say, I shouldn't have killed those people. I made a mistake. And that's why I like Jason Bourne. And that's why I think he's a positive Mara character because of what he represents within the modern male man
0: that does make sense I haven't seen that much Bourne but I've seen a lot of Bond because Christmas exists one thing that I noticed when you spoke about him just now is that he doesn't ever gather a support system really not a consistent one anyway is that something that Jason Bourne does I'm really interested to know
1: um, I guess he does. I mean, he does have people reach out to him throughout the, the trilogy and obviously the fourth the fourth movie, he does have people he counts on. I can't remember the name of the lady, there's one particular lady um that's in pops up in all the movies that's kind of his friend to to count on, so to speak, you know, someone that understands him and what he's been through and he, he kind of relates to her. So he does reach out to quite a few people. And yeah, it's interesting that you say that. So I absolutely agree. And one more quick example in there is Mike Tyson, which I think is a great conclusion here, Mike Tyson is the hardest man on the planet. You would never ever want to get in a ring with him he would He would knock you out in three seconds right he's a, he, he is If there's a definition of of a non a non fictitious hard guy, it's mike tyson you, and I think we can all agree with that. However, if you watch his podcast Hot box with Mike Tyson, I've never seen a man open up to that level before. I've never seen it. I mean, it, it, it's it, it, it's insane how much of himself he puts into that show. From a, he he puts his vulnerability and a heart on the line. I've seen him break down in, in in hysterics of crying before. The thing is, he doesn't care. He he has no shame in doing that. So, would you call Mike Tyson a wussy? Would you say he's not a man? Would you would you look at him as being you know? A male role model, well, you know, but then he's got this other side to him that's not about physical strength. It's about mental strength. It's fascinating. I I just, it it really, Mike Tyson really dazzles dazzles me. I I find it amazing that he's got these two different sides to him. You know, he's physically strong, but then he's emotionally strong in such an, an advanced way that you just don't see that often these days. We've
0: got Mike Tyson, we've got Tyson Fury. In a recent episode, we spoke about David Goggins. These guys are tough like tough and they do things that they they're thrill seekers and they're strong physically and mentally and it makes sense because your mental health is like your physical health your mental fitness is like your physical fitness if you exercise it and practice it it gets better and when you're doing fitness whether it's running or boxing or whatever it is you have time to process you have time to think you have an outlet and actually you said earlier that at one point in your life aggression was your only outlet and actually these guys seemingly have discovered growing up as icons of fitness and strength that they need the mental strength too and they need to practice their mental fitness too because aggression isn't you know
1: absolutely outlet. and that that is such a large misconception and it's one that by the way everyone that's listening I want to break that today I really want to break this misconception so if I've got a six-pack and I work out of the gym three times a week and I, and I drink protein shakes and I'm this physically on the outside tough guy. Yeah? That doesn't mean I'm strong. I might be able to lift up a, a, a box of apples. <laughs> I might be able to save myself you know, save myself in a fight. But the real fight here is not is someone gonna attack me tomorrow on the way to Tesco's or the way to some supermarket. That's not really the question. I mean, of course, there's always a chance that may happen. And it would be good if you could protect yourself, of course. Let's not, let's not deny that. However, the real battle is, can we navigate the madness that is life in 2020, especially during times like COVID? That's really the question. Now, for those that that, that rely solely on things like physical strength, going to the gym, and then suddenly find that there's a, almost an element of fool's gold there, actually there's something else they need that they're missing out on they didn't really know about. I mean, that's why suicide is still so high today. But I, with people we admire, I mean, robin williams uh you know the um liam from prodigy chris cornell chester bennington i mean the list is just endless isn't it of all so-called tough guys and when it came down to it i'm sorry if this offends people and i'm you know I'm, i'm not here because i want to make friends by the way i'm sorry if this offends people but they weren't that tough in the end were they let's be honest now the one thing they could have done differently and maybe might still be here today, is if they have done the hardest thing in the world to do and the thing that we fear more than anything else, and that is to tell the truth and to open up.
0: It's so valuable. It's interesting. I used to be pre COVID a member of Pure Gym. And when you walk into that space, there are these guys who are seemingly intimidating and strong and tattooed and rugged and in very, very thin vest tops with protein shakes and all that kind of thing. And you feel intimidated. And actually, a lot of them are there because that's their outlet and that's their mental fitness. And they have that time to think and they are upping their endorphins, which can be incredible for you if you have depression or, or suffer from anxiety. And they have that space and a community around them and all these things that we need to make a world that's better for mental health. The great thing about Pure Gym is that they are making a really conscious effort to celebrate things like Mental Health Awareness Month and stuff like that. And their trainers have often become trainers because... They want to help people with their mental and physical health. So we really need to rely on spaces like that as well to redefine masculinity because the modern role of a man has changed.
1: So with my most recent ex-partner, um, we had a very awkward situation. And I'm not going to go into detail for various reasons, however, we did. And I did not want to offend her or upset her or make her feel uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I'm, I was being completely sincere with that. Like I, I, it, I, I wanted to make her understand that that's how I felt about things. So I then discovered the art of a thing called preemption or preemptivity or preemptiveness, whichever word you want to use, which is, and this is something that everyone can walk away with today and use at home or with their friends, with their partners, with, their, with even people at work, is use a preemptive approach. So what that means is, disbanding their defensiveness before it, you give them the chance for them to bring it back up bring it up so if you go with hi I've got this problem or I've got someone to talk to you the first thing they're going to they're think is oh god he's, this, this person is going to attack me they're going to you know you know, they're instantly going to get their guard up and that might actually deprive you of the opportunity to say what you want to say how you want to say it and be listened to and have your voice heard so here's, here's kind of what I said I said let's address the elephant in the room I'd like to be able to talk about this in an open way without either of us feeling like we're attacking or insulting each other. See, there, what I'm doing is I'm making it not about me, each other. I'm, I'm suggesting that I could attack her too, so I'm, I'm removing her from that from the equation. Yeah, actually, the goal is the complete opposite to work through this in a healthy way and to move us closer together. And to have a better relationship and connection, is that something that you think or feel we can do and would be open to? And I kept my calm and didn't raise my voice once for the whole time. And I could see her defensiveness starting to come up a little bit. And I just kept disbanding it. I kept saying, look, I can see you find this a bit uncomfortable. That's okay. I'm fine with that. You know, I'm aware it's it's a difficult topic. Um, but just to cl- really clarify, I'm not saying it's because I want to make you feel comfortable. I'm saying it's because I actually want us to be to get closer together. In the end, that ended up being one of the most romantic light, uh, nights of my life. And I'll leave it at that. But it worked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there we go. It's interesting, isn't it? Because being right isn't the art of good conversation. Leaving with both people feeling happy and having one of the best nights of your life is the art of good conversation. And you seem to be equipped with all these tools and techniques and these ideas and you know who you respect and you know who you would not like to be like and you know you have these actual resources at your fingertips. How have you built those in your life?
1: (laughs) Araminti, you're asking me a hard question. (laughs) here. I think it's just lots and lots of micro epiphanies over a very long period of time. It's realizing that you're wrong, realizing that you've done things wrong, realizing that you didn't go about things the right way, losing things that mean something to you, you know, having to learn the hard way, having to lose everything, you know, having to go to a place of, you said caveman earlier on. I've been in a caveman kind of position, you know, where I I can eat. I had no roof over my head. And that gave me the drive and and I guess you could say the perspective to, seriously button up and question my everything that i knew about what sorry everything i thought i knew about the world so i'd say it's just been lots of soul searching getting stuck into research trying things out trying these techniques and seeing if they're going to work and giving it a go being willing to and prepared to fail saying you know i'm going to use this preemptive thing but actually she might still come back and you know give me a backlash maybe this won't work but at the end of the day, you've got to do it to find out. And I've always been a very inquisitive person. And I think when you have had your, your rug pulled from underneath your feet in the way that I have on so many occasions, there's that drive determination there to to find something that works, to find something that actually gets me where I need to get to. So it's a combination of things, really. It's a combination of knowledge that I've picked up just instinctively from books from people giving me ideas, DVDs, what you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. So yeah. So
0: it's showing an interest. It's talking, talking to friends, talking to therapists, reading, research, listening, and you know, actually creating a conscious awareness of who you are and and what you could. Try That's such a big part
1: because if every single man in on in the UK today said, "I am going to take responsibility moving forward," it's not about me winning. It's not about me getting it right. It's not about me being cool. It's not about about me continuing the so called the cycle of my so called alphaness, alpha maleness, whatever that word's supposed to mean. It's about actually getting results in life and and moving forward and getting what I really want. And I hate to say it, you can't get that being a so called alpha. I'm right. I win. It's all about me, me, me. You just can't get there. So. I think everybody should swallow their humble pie today and accept that they're not perfect. Sometimes they do get it wrong. They're going to get it wrong again, by the way. No one's perfect. And everybody has, has a responsibility, not only to themselves, but to everyone else around them, that they must do something to benefit themselves and the lives of other people around them. that only comes with inquisitivity and a determination to change and a determination to open up stop being rigid and start talking to people. That's what I think we should do.
0: Inquisitivity and curiosity is a great one because rather than approaching a conversation saying, I'm right, how can I tell them I'm right? If you approach it saying, maybe they're right. Maybe I've been wrong before. You know, let's look at the the track record. It could happen, maybe sometimes. Let's see why they think they're right. And let's see if I can get them to convince me what their train of thought has been to making this point or this idea. On the way, maybe you'll learn some empathy maybe you'll learn a better way to communicate why you don't agree you're allowed to disagree and or maybe you'll just learn something about them or or about yourself that you can level with so yeah it's a it's a fantastic approach to a conversation if you approach every conversation with curiosity rather than thinking how can I tell them something how can I talk about me think think about how can I delve into their conversation a bit more so you and I started speaking about this because you've done a couple of vlogs and things about mental health. And you were noticing that I was doing a little bit on Let's Get Men talking about men's mental health. And we then had a really open and honest conversation like the one we're having today. How often does that happen in your life? Are you known as an open person because of the things that you've been through?
1: The way I see it is is that I give it out, but I don't get it back. That's how I see it. So I'm I'm not ashamed of myself the mistakes I've made, the challenges I've been through, the traumas that I've faced, and my the state of my mental health, whatever day of the week that is. So if if I'm feeling like I want to end it on a Monday and Tuesday, I'm feeling like I want to, you know, go I know skiing because I'm buzzing my head off of happiness, then that's that's fine. Like, you know, I, I don't need, I, you know, I, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm, I'm not ashamed that at all. Now, unfortunately, what I do find is that in the past I've found that that's actually pushed people away from me sometimes because. I think it's because I put a mirror onto them. That's the way I could describe it. I'm asking them questions that they don't want to be asked, or I'm making them think about things in a way that they don't they don't want to think about them. And it comes back to that denial thing again, you know, take, not taking responsibility. It's easy to bury your head in the sand. Hang on for dear life, guys. Hang on for dear life. So it's very rare that I, that I have a, a seriously deep conversation with somebody, like a really, really completely open space. And to be honest with you, one of the very few times I've had that is actually with my previous ex-partner. Um, I felt like we completely understood each other on that level and we just got each other and we, we could have those amazingly awkward conversations and talk about our emotions in such a healthy way. And to be honest with you, I, found, I actually found that exhilarating and uplifting inspiring because it was so nice to go, wow, there's someone out there in the world like me who understands what I'm talking about. And I understand what they're talking about, and we truly get it, and we're kind of in sync in this in this way. So that's the tragedy of it. The tragedy of it is, is that I've always been like this. I, I've never, I wouldn't say I've changed in that in that respect. But I've always found that people can be a little bit cold. They can be scared. They can have trust issues. By the way, I've got trust issues, but I don't let that get in my way. If you know what I mean. I, I've got trust issues, but I don't let that. I don't let the the perfect be the enemy of the good so to speak. I I just kind of have to accept that that's how it is and I still try to move forward. So I think really, again, another, another thing I'm asking people to do today if they tune into this episode is start opening up and start talking the truth because it's such a great feeling when you do it and you won't regret it. So everyone, I think you should do that. It's a fantastic experience to go through.
0: I think when you start putting that energy out there, sometimes it comes back to you. And we sp- spoke on recent episode with someone about how Um, there's like a hidden feeling when you know someone's open to talking about mental health and you start having this conversation and it's like people are either there or they're not and that's okay if you're not there but by listening to this episode you are showing a curiosity and you're you're stretching your bounds of what you think is right and it's really hard to change what you've thought is right forever but if you make a bit of an effort it can just click one day and you can find the right person to talk to you about it I think finding the right person is really important whether it is a friend or a relationship or a therapist you can start with the wrong person and that's part of your journey as well figuring out who is helpful to you I
1: agree with you there and a um, couple of things I wanted to go into if that's okay so the first thing I wanted to go in, go into with you is ways of getting better because I think that's really important I think If you've been through a traumatic life like I've I've been through and you don't know where to turn, you you feel alone, you feel like you're you're the only one, um, what do you do? You know, where do I go? And this is the point at which, unfortunately, suicide becomes an option. And I had made a pact of myself today that I was going to talk about that because I've been affected by it. You know, very dear Friend of mine, and also the same person is my one of my best friends' uh, stepfathers um, committed suicide five years ago, well, five and a half years ago now. That that was, you know, a really horrible thing to experience. So, what can we actually do about this? If if we're feeling depressed, if we're feeling anxious, if we're feeling suicidal, if we feel like like we want to we want to call it quits, we've got uh, we're feeling trapped. What do we do? What do we do? Where do we go? And so, I'll kind of break this down into couple of different things really well three three things so the first thing is there's your day-to-day there's the there's the little things that you can do every single day even if it's a 10 percent increase on how you're feeling so like you say exercise going to the gym you know talking to other guys that are also emotionally open in that regard whatever um exercise there's eating healthy there's getting a good night's sleep there's reading an uplifting book listening to good music all the all these things seem so stupid they seem so trivial but actually they, they work right um, going for a walk, talking to you know, a friend on the phone, going somewhere and doing something. They all seem like, oh, is that it? Is that gonna help me? Well, no, it's not gonna it's not gonna solve your problem, but it's definitely gonna get you on the on your journey towards recovery. It's not gonna it's not gonna recover you from depression overnight. And then there's your self-help. So there's your books, you know, maybe you might read, I don't know, how to win friends and influence people or something like that, you know, whatever it is. There's your podcasts, a bit like this one. There's your motivational videos, there's there's your meditation apps. There's that stuff. All things that you can do for yourself without needing to consult with anybody else. And then there's the, the bigger stuff. There's the, I've actually got to go and talk to someone and ask for help for this stuff. So that's your counselors, your therapists, your psychiatrists. That's your hypnotherapists. That's your going to meditation classes. Emotional freedom tapping, which is like a tap on the head. Can't explain it. You'd have to, you'd have to Google it. Um, the havening technique. Again, can't explain it. You'd have to Google it. There's the light box strategy which is another great way of releasing ptsd from your head there's only things you can do so i think you have to just kind of just break down you have to think short term midterm and long term short term is i'm going to get up and shower and brush my teeth today even i don't want to midterm is i'm going to listen to a podcast long term is i'm going to go and see a therapist it's a combination of the small medium and large things you do over a very extended period of time that gets you out of this situation and by the way Sometimes depression can fool you. It can convince you that you're okay when you're not. You go, I think I'm free. I think I'm out of this. And guess what? Two days later, you don't want to get up again. I thought I was okay. Now, let me tell you, don't be fooled. One thing I will say is that when you truly do cure depression, you'll know about it. Because I remember the day that I, a week went by, two weeks went by, a month went by, two months went by, and I went, I think I've beat it. <laughs> it's taken me a long time, but I think I'll beat it. And that is a beautiful feeling of freedom on the other side. And I tell you what, it's worth being proactive and fighting for that because life, life's good out there. The grass is green on the other side. So I hope that helps.
0: On that note, do you have any advice to if someone's sitting here today and they have considered suicide recently, or they might be considering now, or they might consider it again tomorrow? Do you have. Any advice or anything to say to that person?
1: (sighs) Yes, I do. I'm so I'm feeling emotional right now because I'm just thinking back to the times I've been in that situation, and I remember that what that feels like, and I hope that means something to somebody on the other side. the The truth is, firstly, it's completely okay to feel that way. That's the first thing that you need to know. I know this is a really this might this analogy might offend some people. It's a bit like craving to I don't know buy a a hamburger or something, or, or craving to talk to that girl in the bar or whatever whatever it is it's like these these are just thoughts these these are just desires and just because you, you your your mind delivers you a feeling delivers you a, a, a thought doesn't mean you have to act on it and that that's that comes back to emotional intelligence so just bear in mind that firstly it's okay to feel that way nothing to be ashamed of you're not you're certainly not alone secondly it doesn't mean you have to act on it just because your, your mind's feeling it i mean every i think we get something like a million thoughts a day we don't do a million things a day, do we? So sort of act on everything that comes to us. And last but not least is there are things that you can do to, to r- relieve yourself of that situation. I remember one particular time, it was April 2015 it was, I remember very clearly. I'd just moved into a new flat by myself. That was probably nine months away from being homeless, sorry, being free from homelessness. And to be honest with you, I, f- I actually found it really hard to adapt to that situation because it was the feeling of, I'd never had my own space before, and I was so traumatized from the experience that to suddenly be on my own, it actually broke me. <laughs> it, it had the opposite effect; it, it broke me. I don't know if it's because I didn't think, think I deserved that or something. Maybe, maybe didn't feel worthy of, of, that, of that that thing that I'd achieved. But that particular day, I felt suicidal, and I, and, I, and it was I can't explain how bad it was that day. Probably could have easily con- considered contemplating suicide at, at that point. Yeah. However, what I did do was I called Samaritans. I remember, and I remember being so depressed that even going to Google and typing Samaritans helpline was actually hard to think of the letters to type into the search bar. It was that I was that bad. I was that bad that I couldn't even figure out how to spell Samaritans because I was I was that depressed. That honestly, I was that depressed. And I just please just do it. And I found it in me to do it, and I'm glad I did. And I googled it. I called. They put me through to the Leeds helpline. And then I got on the phone to a woman and she's like, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not okay. She's like, where do you live? I live in Leeds. She's like, let me give you the postcode. Uh, You can come and see me face to face. That, Sorry, I'm feeling emotional now. That woman saved my life that day. I'm telling you, she did. She saved my life. She really did save my life that day. I honestly mean that. I sat in there for two hours talking to her. And when I walked out, it was like the world had lifted off me. And honestly, so that's what I'd say. Reach out to someone. Reach out. Find the strength in you to reach out. Call Samaritans if you have to. Just do it. Just do it.
0: What a woman, as well. And how amazing of you because depression is exhausting. And to sum that energy up is a real, that one moment, that one decision you made was perhaps one of the most incredible decisions you've ever made I always talk about the Samaritans and I can imagine you know if I was in a moment where I felt self-conscious and vulnerable and depressed I I can imagine the feeling that people get of I don't want to I don't want to do this I don't want to call Samaritans so it feels so easy for me to be like call Samaritans it's amazing uh, they really it really that is proof right there it really is there to help and it is incredible and if you don't get the right person the right time, which I'm sure you will the first time, then hang up and try again. And the
1: funny thing is, there's a little bit of irony here. When I was at university, this is long before, you know, this is long before my really bad depression started to happen. I, I actually used to work for Samaritans. I used to be a fundraiser for them. I think I must've raised like 20, 30,000 pounds for them. Now at the time I used to be the the, the smiley face, the fresh face guy, knocking door, hi guys, how's it going? Samaritan, suicide, give me some money. I used to do all that. And, but I never really understood what it meant. And then uh, years later, I was like, "Actually, I've used the service that I fundraised for now, and now that's giving me some context." And you um, know, maybe that, maybe that's some good karma for, for, for raising a good twenty, thirty thousand pounds for them. Um, maybe you know, maybe I paid for my my phone call that day. But it, what I'm, I think really what I'm getting at is that I didn't have any perspective at that point. But then like, maybe I don't know, ten years later, I did, and and I was like, ah. Wow, okay. This stuff works. This stuff does the job,
0: yeah, many of the people who are on the other end of the phone have been through what you've been through because that's why they're there. That's what they're instigate for giving their time is because it's been it's helped them too, and they want to give something back, so you know the the likelihood is that you'll have someone who can really really relate to you.
1: Another thing I want to go quickly cover is also um. Well, firstly, I've got a couple of resources for people that are listening to this. So in terms of books, I recommend Heal Your Life by Louise Hayes. It's a bit airy-fairy. It might sound a bit new age, but just read it. Even if you just take one thing out of it, just read it, yeah? I also, another thing I recommend, so it's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Jovis Spencer. He's a top, top author. I also recommend Paul McKenna and Glenna Harold for hip, for hypnosis and self-hypnotherapy. And there's a couple of them um, really good Jay Shetty episodes. One of them is Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife. Um, she does a really, really great um, video of him. And also um, there's another one that I found quite interesting, which is Dr. Laurie Gottlieb. What, that's spelled L-O-R-I-G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B. And it's all about emotional intelligence within relationships, being in tune with your emotions. Which I think is really important. And moving on quickly from that, I know that let's get men talking is obviously what it says on the tin. Let's get men talking. But I actually think we need to get we need let's get some women talking as well. Um, which is one of the reasons why I admire you, Araminta, because that's you. That's who you are. That's your role role in this bigger picture. What you try to do, and the reason why is because women sometimes, not always, do you have warped views on what they think and a man should be, but you know. They do feel if I don't know, this is what a man should be, this is what a man's supposed to do, and often those expectations aren't in line or aren't in sync with what a man often is, and that can cause disappointments, it can cause arguments, it can cause unrealistic expectations. And that's not an insult, by it. I'm, not, I'm not trying to patronize anybody because we're all guilty of it, regardless of what gender we are, yeah. Um, but I do think that. Women as well as men should also make just as much effort on their side to recode how they perceive masculinity. In the same way, if if a man's going to take responsibility and a man's going to say, I'm going to take responsibility and do something about this, then also women should do the same thing. They should also do, I'm going to change maybe how I perceive men's mental health or how I perceive what I think a man should be. Because I hate to say it. We all subscribe to Hollywood movies. We all do. Everyone does. Everyone, everyone's watched a movie and gone, I think I should be that guy or I think I should be that woman. Or I wish I had a boyfriend like that. I wish I had a girlfriend like that. And then we then use that to kind of inform our decision moving forward, either, either consciously or unconsciously. So I think everyone needs to ask themselves this question. This is not just about men. It's about every, every gender on, that there is in existence. So I hope that hope that makes sense. <laughs>
0: It does. Everyone has some work to do when it comes to redefining what gender means to them and how they treat other people because of something visual like their gender, their skin color, their ability, their, you know, whatever it is, we all have to relearn to see people as people, which is a big part of this for me. The corner of this that I'm covering is Let's Get Men Talking because it's literally killing more men than anyone else. However, I have had women message me on this platform saying, especially on our Instagram, saying, thank you for doing what you're doing because I now understand my partner more and I now understand some of the subconscious colloquialisms that I say that contribute towards this. You know, don't be a dick or, oh, you pussy or whatever it is. Sorry about that. But this is a fantastic resource for men and women and we do all need to talk to each other and the workload doesn't have to come from one gender it has to come from anyone. it
1: is and actually what you just said there it illustrates a great a great point they should be going to their partners to try and find out their partners and their partners should be confiding in them and actually explain to them talking about these things and whilst that's a good thing that the awareness has been spread i also think that's also in some ways i think a bit concerning awareness is Absolutely, the most important thing, because, like you say, a woman would not know about these things, or a man would not know about these things, had it not be for a resource like "Let's Get Men Talking," which is priceless of what you're doing. You know, and you know, I'm a huge support of what you do. However, that does come kind of after have to come a kind of point in that journey where we say, "Okay, I can only listen to so many podcasts, or I can only read so many books, I can only read so many magazines," before eventually I've got to open up. I'm the one that's actually got to start talking to you whoever that is that's within, you know, the spectrum of what it's talking, I think that's really what what the end goal should be. And I hope that you're with what you do, I hope I genuinely hope that you help people get there. I do.
0: I really appreciate that, honestly. I think I probably misphrased what I said in terms of they understand what their partner is going through in that moment and the additional pressures of masculinity. But your fundamental point is very prominent. I mean, we could go on into this discussion for, for days, especially because not all relationships are man to woman and woman to man. There are so many in between, and we, there's there's such a, Oh, I could talk about it forever and I could talk to you forever. And this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for all your resources. I feel like I've had an emotional roller coaster in the last hour and it's been a really positive experience. How can we follow you?
1: You can follow us on, well, on Instagram and Twitter. We are We Are Gramercy. So Gramercy is G R A M and then E R S I. So that's We Are Gramercy. On Facebook, we're just Gramercy. And on LinkedIn, we're just Gramercy. And our website's gramercy.com um so but yeah i just want to say araminta thank you very much for letting me be a guest today. i know that some of the things i've said are probably a bit controversial i know that you know they they might not be as radio friendly as some people might like but i didn't want to hold back today. i wanted to tell my whole truth and i and i hope that that means something to somebody so thank you so much and i just want to say please keep doing the amazing work you're doing and you know that i'm going to support you every step of the way